0: Hello and welcome to the Folk Music Podcast. My name is Anders, and in this episode I'm speaking to American fiddler Liz Knowles. Now, Liz has been a prominent member of the Irish music scene for several decades. She's been working with bands like Cherish the Ladies, String Sisters, and Martin Hayes Quartet, just to mention a few. But in addition to being an outstanding performer, she's also a sought-after teacher. Um, it is actually her thoughts about practicing music that is uh, the theme of this episode's conversation. Um, um, the episode runs on the longer side, but I think we touched on a number of really interesting concepts. Um, personally, I've um, benefited greatly from listening to Liz's thoughts several times, um, reflecting on how they relate to my own practicing my uh, own life as a musician. So, um, yeah, I highly recommend you listen to um, the entire episode. There's loads of nuggets of wisdom in here. Topics we uh, touch on are uh, a concept that Liz calls single focus in practicing. Uh, we talk about how to schedule practice sessions, uh, setting goals for your practice, the importance of giving your brain a break, uh, how everyone's goals will differ when it comes to uh, practicing music. Um, We speak about what goes into having a convincing sound as a performer, Uh, and of course we talk about how to practice for speed and playing really, really fast, which is what everyone wants. (laughs) So uh, without further ado, here is my conversation with Liz Knowles. Liz Knowles, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me
0: really happy that you uh, agreed to come on the show and talk about one of my favorite topics, which is uh, practicing music.
1: Well, that's good. It's a favorite because for a lot of people, it's not. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's something we can come uh, circle back to. Yeah. Um, but um, this is something I um, have a good bit of experience with myself practicing music because I've been studying music or I've been studying jazz piano for five years Uh, At the university level, and after that, I, um, well, after I transitioned into the world of folk music, I learned how to play a number of different instruments, including the guitar and the accordion and things like that. So I've spent a good few (laughs) hours in my life practicing, but um, I find that I have also wasted a lot of (laughs) hours in my life. Uh, It's not always that you um, can just put in the hours and expect to get uh, quality in return. So like I'm curious what's uh, how's your journey with practicing been? Have you always been good at practicing music?
1: Not at all. Uh in fact, I think part of my interest in practice as a, as an adult, my intense interest uh, in practice as an adult is that I Absolutely hated it when I was a child, and I think a lot of children do. We're being forced into it, or we feel that it's uh, it's not what we want to be doing. We want to be playing music, not practicing it. Um, and so, for me, the evolution of practice has has been through an absolute hatred of it, an avoidance of it, and uh, and then coming around to realizing that uh, quality versus quantity, um, finding effective ways to get through. Uh, problems. I mean, the bottom line is one of the main reasons we practice is to deal with issues that come up. Um, inevitably, there are going to be things that are about the physicality of playing an instrument, the mental, uh, you know, what we're what we're trying to grasp mentally in playing an instrument and playing music. So it's all of these levels that we need to have connecting and really speaking to one another. And so, practice is that place. I think I finally realized that pl- practice was this place where all of those things kind of come together. And and that's an incredible thing. I mean, I think if somehow that had been able to be translated to me as a child, and maybe it was <laughs> impossible, um, that maybe I would have loved practice from the, from the beginning. Um, I had a wonderful, wonderful first teacher um, uh, for the violin. It was a classical music in violin. And he... Definitely the he was he was absolutely inspirational in so many ways. One of the one of the slight negative sides is and it wasn't his fault. It was he had a child in front of him who wasn't practicing. So he really stressed the quantity of practicing over the quality. Yeah. Now, in fairness, again, I think he was really going for trying to get this child to put in any time, any time whatsoever, so how can you talk about quality unless there is time Um, and so uh, but one of the most wonderful things he did for me, um, this is long before the days of recording and digital recording um, but he showed me how to use two tape recorders, one of the things I love to do was read music and Mm. so he showed me how to take duets and quartets and trios and record one piece on one tape recorder and then play it back and play the other piece, uh, you know, the other part on another tape recorder, and then play that back. And you can see where, I mean, this was endless hours of fun for me. So all of a sudden, this one little um, uh, trick to being able to do this with parts of music, I was suddenly playing for hours and hours a day. And so all of a sudden, I had the quantity and then I started finding the quality. So uh, so that was, in a nutshell, kind of um, really what brought me to, I don't know, an aha moment, if you will, in practicing and really saying, oh, there's so much here to explore. Uh, uh, you know, I've gotten to the point where actually uh, I have joked with a number of colleagues that I think all I want to do is practice. I don't even care if I perform anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know.
0: <laughs> no, that's great like uh, let's circle back uh quickly before we go any further in that you're actually writing a book about the art of practice.
1: Yes and this has been a, a long term project I've been working on for for many many years and it's taking a lot of different forms but yeah I started um, I've been always done a bit of teaching uh, in my performing career uh, obviously a lot more in the last two years because of the pandemic um, but uh, I love teaching always have loved teaching it's always been at least a small facet of my my career. And I think over the years, what started to happen was I started compiling ideas about. Um, what was working, what wasn't working with students, what was working for me, what wasn't working for me. The other big component in my life is having come from classical music and going to traditional music and really realizing that those two worlds, uh, both in their um, kind of regimented ways of, of providing foundation, obviously in classical music, we have a huge history of uh, tried and tested techniques for getting uh, skills on the instrument, learning repertoire, um, all kinds of things. But in traditional music, you're kind of left. I mean, as it is, even for me, uh, learning traditional music, you're kind of left to your own devices. You have to figure it out for yourself. There mm. are no etudes, there are no exercise books, there are no. There's no direct path between sort of learning this tune, then this tune, then this, then this tune. And so for me, the combination of both sides of that and what comes from that and the kinds of practice that you can employ, to me, they need each other. There's so much in both of those traditions mm. that are very useful and valuable for any musician in any style, um, to, to learn music, because it's all the same components. It's the mental component, the physical component. Uh, it's the mind and the body working together. It's our negotiation of our body around the instrument, uh, but also understanding the music that we're playing and knowing how to find ways to bring that music out in the best way possible.
0: Exactly. And like, is teaching music something you have always enjoyed doing, or is it a more recent...
1: Um it's something I've always enjoyed doing. I never um it was never as much a part of my life as it has been in the last 2 years uh, for obvious reasons. Um but it's uh it, it's such a different side of being a musician than being a performer. I think most most musicians know that. It it takes a different brain and a different level of energy and um it's uh I've always loved it. I hope it's always a component of of my life. It's I think you can't be a practicing musician and not sort of be a teacher because essentially when we're practicing we're kind of teaching ourselves. I mean really at the end of the day, it's the t- you it's just you in a room and if you're not I think that's one of the driving kind of themes of this book is trying to be a better teacher to yourself while you could be having a teacher at the same time, but really it's you in a room. So unless you catch the feedback and you catch the the things that are coming, coming across in your instrument, um, nobody else is there. So um, it, I think we're all, in a sense, teachers, either to ourselves or to other people. Yeah,
0: that's a good way to put it. I mean, um, I've been reading your uh, email newsletter for a little while now, and yeah. first of all, I have to say it's it's one of the most beautifully made, uh, thorough newsletters I've seen in a while from musicians.
1: Thank you very it's, much. I appreciate it.
0: It's clear that you put a lot of time and effort into it, and it's it's kind of structured like a traditional newsletter. I find like like they used to be. Like you include uh, like just news of what you're up to and gigs you're playing, but there's also like um, musings and ideas and things. And yeah. and you also write about practice in all of these newsletters. Um, and in the most recent one, I think it was, you talk about uh, the, um, the topic of single practice. Oh, sorry, yes. single, single focus.
1: Single focus, yeah.
0: Which is something I also find to be very uh, important, but not necessarily very easy. Can you uh, expand on what uh, what is single focus when it comes to practice?
1: Great. Uh, what, um, one of the things about that newsletter is that uh, I, I started it during the pandemic. And the reason I started it was obviously the isolation of kind of not touring and not being around and realizing that the ideas that kind of come up in my life... Um, are often reflected in the music that I play or the way that I practice or the way that I approach music. Um, And so that newsletter was a great outlet for that. And the reason that I say that before answering your single focus question is that um, that also came out of a a kind of idea that was – I think I said it in the newsletter. Um, you know, I I find myself talking on the phone. Obviously, we're doing more of that, or we had been doing more of that during the pandemic because we weren't seeing people in person, and it really became apparent to me not having the in-person uh, interactions that that phone interaction or FaceTime interaction or Zoom interaction. Is so different if the person, um, I mean, it's already different if we're in different countries, we live in a different time zone, we live in a different place, Uh, we're in a different time of our day, we're in the middle of something. But it became really apparent to me when somebody was washing the dishes or they were taking a walk um, while I was talking to them, and vice versa. I mean, I might be kind of multitasking and trying to you know, clean up while I'm talking to somebody on the phone, have the headphones on, which is all good and it's all fine. I guess what I, what I started to notice was how different it was when both of us were doing the same thing yeah. or we were in the same kind of headspace. Mm. Um, it just changed the conversation, which of course made me think about practice and really think about the ways in which we either try to tackle a lot of different things at once, which can be very useful. I mean that, you know, for the violin, I'm always uh, speaking from the violin because that's my instrument. Um, You know, it's it's very possible and really practical and really effective to be thinking about tone and intonation at the same time. Because Mm. if you think about it, those things are connected. However, it's really good to set aside time that is absolutely single focus. So really zeroing in on one thing and really exploring that for the day or for 10 minutes or for five minutes. Um, single focus can also be, I mean, the obvious single focus things can be like really zeroing in on one tune and and exploring that tune as much as possible, one area of a tune, um, one technique. You know, if it's on the violin, it's maybe shifting into position, really paying attention to those inner moments of a very small act. Um, um, And then expanding that out, it's interesting, I after that newsletter came out, I was talking to a visual artist friend of mine, um, and she had read the newsletter. And she said, Oh, you know, when I paint, I always listen to music, or I'm always listening to a podcast or music, I don't Mm -hmm. think that's single focus, maybe I should try just painting. And I said, Wait a second that's not necessarily not single focus. That is a single focus. So every time she paints, she has something that is in the background, whether it's music or or a podcast. For her, that is a single focus. And I think recognizing that that... That consistency, that kind of uh, platform on which she uses to to create, that is her single focus. Now, to mm. somebody else, that might be a distraction. So I think it's important to look at what is um, the idea of single focus as being... Where are you distracted and where are you not distracted? And when can you put that focus in one place to not allow other distractions in? And mm. so that that was kind of the 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 point of that.
0: Yeah. Well I yeah. and I think that's hugely important. And um it's yeah, it's obviously a hot topic these days with more and more distractions from our phones and technology Absolutely. and all kinds of stuff. So I find the um I find the challenge with uh, single focus being you know, like on a on a higher level, just having the focus to actually doing a focused practice session, without uh, like, I mean, I can turn off my phone, but still I have all these other worries in my head, like oh I should reply to this person, and because we we get inundated with like messages and requests and and more yeah. and more of us like try to juggle way too many projects to be honest, uh, yes. so it's it's hard for me to get into that the same kind of focus I had when when I was in university when I mean I was younger and life was simpler in many ways and uh, and it was just all about practicing and I was yeah I find it harder as I get older to I I feel like I have to get into different zones like uh instead of just being in this uh storm of uh, all kinds of stuff
1: you know one of the uh uh kind of laughable things uh, to both my husband and my friends over the years is that I always practice in the bathroom, no matter where I am, I could be in the biggest venue, I could be in Carnegie Hall, and I'd go looking for a bathroom to go practice in. And I think, you know, some of that comes from childhood in being, you know, a a kind of loud and uh, raucous family, that was the only place you could go and shut the door and nobody would bother you, you know, (laughs) Um, so it but it was literally looking for that space away from distraction. You know, I used to, um, one of my practice rooms in college, um, the practice room that I had was in a basement with no windows. And I used to kind of, um, you know, always wish that there was a window, but I found that if there's a window in the practice room that I'm in, that can be a good thing. And that can also be a distraction. So it's, it's, it's trying to find actually creating the space around that practice time that allows you to have that focus. So that's mm-hmm. either turning off the phones. Um, I even find, I mean, one of the reasons the bathroom is useful is if it, it doesn't have a, a window, you can turn off the light and then you're not only in sort of privacy with the door, but the light is off and it's fully dark. And so you listen differently when it's fully dark. When when you can't see your fingers and your hands, you can't do anything but feel and here, that's a focus. That's an ability to be able to focus. And so trying to create those kinds of spaces is really important. We we may seem it's, you know, it may seem kind of frilly and silly to do that, but it's actually really, really important. Um, I spend a lot of time digging into you know, playing traditional Irish music. Obviously I have a huge archive on my, on my laptop of old music that I'm always diving into, but you know, sometimes I got to just close the laptop, go away and just play. That's my single focus sometimes is to just get away from those archival recordings, stop listening, stop paying attention to what somebody else is doing and focus on what it is that I want to be doing. Um, if I have any challenge in in my practice, it's doing that more than always feeling. Oh, I got to dig deeper. I got to dig deeper. I got to get you know dig deeper. Mm. Um, so it's um, it's interesting. I think for everybody, whatever that focus is, it, it, we find it difficult, or we're going to find it in different places. Uh, so you really have to know yourself to know yeah. that. And speaking
0: yeah. of that, like do you find for you is, is there a certain time of day that works better for you when it comes to practice? And like that's finding a good that's, focus.
1: Yeah. It's a good question. I I go through um kind of periods i'm i'm a big one for kind of setting a schedule and keeping it and usually i can't keep it for more than Mm -hmm. about a couple of weeks and then i have to change it i've had to accept the fact that i'm a person that needs to change that up regularly i'm not going to stick to something for very long you know i take my vitamins for two weeks and then i forget and i exercise (laughs) a certain way and then i don't and then you know so i i again it's knowing yourself um I find that morning generally is better for me although one of the things that's really worked for me is uh, throughout the day so a little in the morning a little in the afternoon a little mm. in the evening um for me that is a great way of distilling something especially if I'm learning tunes I'm working on something that I feel is a technical issue it's just good to revisit you know that in the same day it's off also, how it works best around my schedule because I'm often doing some little bit of teaching, some little bit of writing, some little whatever, and I'm, you know, it's it doesn't work for me for any of those things to be sitting down and doing one thing for six hours. No. Um, I find uh, for me a practice time that's really uh, the the most useful and the most ex- effective is about an hour and a half long. Over mm. two hours, I just find. It's not that it's not useful, it's not that I don't do that, but I just find that's kind of the magic window of being able to pay attention, really focus, and get some solid work done. Um, If I'm preparing for a recording or a concert, I might sit and play like a, you know, kind of like a marathon runner would train. You do sort of short bursts, but then you do really long hauls. And so I might do that for stamina, but I find that hour and a half to be really... A kind of magic number for me.
0: Yeah, and yeah, isn't there even something to be said for like um uh, setting limits for your practice time in a way? Because uh, like, yes, uh, what, one of my friends who's a fiddle player, when she was uh, studying in the university, like she she didn't know what she would what she wanted to do, and she felt a bit overwhelmed with all the other students that had their things going, and she didn't know like where to go, and she felt like she was a bit lost. But then her teacher told her that okay, now you're not allowed to practice more than one hour each day. Wow. Yeah. And like, in the beginning, she didn't like understand, okay, what's the point of that? But after a while, she realized, okay, if I only have one hour, like, how can I spend it in the best way possible? And I thought that was a fairly genius uh, way to spin it. Be- because, I mean, I'm kind of like you in that I, I really like to make this really ambitious plans for what I'm going to do and like routines I want to implement and habits I want to aspire to have and like I end up with this silly sessions like I just remember from my own time in university like okay so it's one hour of like these crazy unison harmon exercises on the piano and then I I'll practice like chord changes for an hour and then maybe I'll play a tune like <laughs> it gets silly but if someone had told <laughs> me okay you only have one hour like what do you want to achieve what's your where do you want to go with the music, and how can you get there as effective as possible?
1: Well, it makes you it makes you really decide what's important, right? It makes you decide. Um what do I want to get out of this? And if I'm going to get only one thing, what is that one thing going to be? I, I think that's a great a great way to do it. And I also think that if you were to expand it to more than an hour, you kind of start to get a hierarchy from week to week, from day to day, from month to month. This is also something I, I preach a lot, but I don't always follow and I need to follow, which is kind of having short-term goals, medium-sized goals, and long-term goals. So that you're mm. always kind of balancing, okay, in a month, I want to be able to, uh, you know, play these 40 tunes, have these arranged, ready to record, some something elaborate. Um, or uh, in this week, I want to just make sure that this is working, that this tune is um, at this speed, that, you know, wh- whatever those sm- smaller goals are for, for day-to-day, week-to-week, but month-to-month, it's probably – it's it's a hard thing to kind of manage and balance all of those things but i think if you keep them in mind it's it is helpful um i think the other thing about what your friend experienced with being limited to an hour you know i again one of the things that i i deal with is my practicing ends up, ends up being a lot of meandering which i like i really enjoy that it feels good it's almost a meditation to me mm. um to be able to pick up the violin and just you know i I literally walk sometimes between this room and the bathroom i um I'm going from tune to tune from player to player from uh I might be composing a tune I might be uh thinking about a tune for a student I might be working on something that I know I needed to work on technically um but I'm really kind of hopping around and that feels really good, but it's not always productive um so reining myself in and And saying, okay, I'm going to give myself a half an hour, what is that most important thing that I'm going to get out of that half an hour, is a really good way of doing it. I think the other magic thing that that does by limiting the practice is it means that you're thinking about this stuff when you don't have the instrument in your hand. Um, That has been you know, again, it kind of was a revelation along with realizing how wonderful practice is. It is amazing the work that you can do practicing in your head and in your hands away from the instrument entirely. And I think that is a, a, a tool that we don't often explore um you know my husband for example he's a piper an illin piper plays the flute and the whistle and the fiddle um but he whenever he's driving um you can see his hands going he's always playing a tune when he's driving um so you can tell that the mind is still working it's wrapping itself around uh especially a new tune something that he just kind of remembered and fell in love with he's he's always going through it but physically He's he's mapping it out. He doesn't even have the instrument in his hand. He has a steering wheel in his hand. Yeah. And so I think that's a that's a really invaluable um you know, you're out on a walk humming a tune, um thinking about an arrangement. Um for for me, it's all about art and design and and all of these other things in life that I'm constantly bringing into music and having that time to bring those ideas in. You have to do that away from the instrument because if you have the instrument in your hand you're going to want to do that scale you're going to want to do that technique that yeah. exercise work on that tune you will want to use the instrument rather than your brain mm. and so I think that's that's great it's a great way of looking at it
0: and like going back to what we talked about earlier that's that's why I think it's easy uh, it's important not to always give your brains um, Stimuli in the form of like constantly listening to podcasts or constantly yeah. being plugged into social media. I mean, it's so easy to say like I'm one of the worst offenders. I can't even wash the dishes without starting a podcast. But yeah. uh, I find that the odd time that I don't actually entertain myself with something, just, I mean, go for a walk without listening to anything. That That's, that's when I get the good ideas and I start thinking about, oh, how was that tune again? And start reflecting yeah. over things without actually planning to do it. Just, just The brain just uh, has a bit of a, a break and then new ideas can emerge.
1: Yeah. I uh, One of the things that I've found myself reading and listening to more, listening to, it's kind of ironic, um, is anyone talking about silence and the value of silence. Mm. Uh, there's some great books about it. Um, obviously, you can find uh, thing, things on podcasts, but it's and again it's ironic to have to listen to something to talk about silence but um yeah absolutely i mean i feel that uh that is just as valuable as the sounds that we make is is in those moments of quiet again letting the brain letting the brain wrap itself around what you just did an hour ago it's gone if you put a podcast in there it's gone yeah. if you you know, uh, it, it doesn't disappear, but you stop mulling over it. It's I, I'm often thinking about. You know, when I was a kid, we got read stories. You know, uh, by our parents and grandparents, and that idea of being read a story. Um, and then you go off and play. That mm. story is ringing in your head as a mm. child. And when do we have that as an adult? We we don't allow for that. We really don't. And it is a struggle because it's all there, ready for us to turn on and plug into. But it's so valuable to just stop and let the mind wander. I'm a big walker, and I rarely listen to anything Um when I'm walking, I tried. I thought this is going to be my opportunity to listen to a lot of podcasts, but I just couldn't do it. I found that that, that time to let the mind just go where it wants to go. Mm. Um, often when I'm writing that newsletter, um, the two days before, that, those are what my walks are. I just kind of, it's like a light switch goes on and I, I go for a really long walk. And usually when I come back, there's some... There's some cycle and meandering of of thoughts that only happens if I haven't listened to music or listened to somebody else talk um, or some other media. So, yeah, it's really important. Mm. And I think um, there's a great uh, Instagram uh, feed by... Um, Hilary Hahn, the classical violinist, she's, she's been doing a a hundred days of practice. Mm. Um, and you can watch her practice. She turns on her video. I, I would be horrified to have anybody watch me practice, but, (laughs) um, she's uh, very brave and I've really enjoyed kind of turning, turning it on and seeing what she's at. It's amazing how many times you watch her play play something incredible, because she's incredible. uh, And then she stops and she's just looking up at the ceiling or she's looking around the room. And, you know, I do that too. But it was really so refreshing to see that in somebody else and certainly somebody of that caliber, how much time you allow just for you to stop and look around the room think about what you just did listen to what you just did again um one of the the big big words i use in this um in this practice book and i tell it to my students all the time and myself is you can't undervalue the word stop in practicing yeah. whether that's stopping before something goes wrong Stopping before the difficult thing, but giving pause around things, giving silence around things, so that physically you feel it, mentally you you think it, um, and visually you see it. You know, we can see tension, we can see stress, we can see those things, but unless you look for it, unless you stop and really look for it, um, you may miss it. And so it's really important to give those moments of silence and just like pause. Um, and it's a good lesson for life, as you said. Yeah. Um, because,
0: yeah. yeah, when we practice our instruments, it's easy, uh, at, at least I find it's easy to just feel like, like you end up just playing, like if you're trying to learn a tune, for example, you just end up playing the tune over and over time after time and you just repeat the same mistakes over and over and you don't really get any better. Whereas, if you actually stop and like, okay, where am I messing up? Uh, And how can I solve that problem? Like, uh, I mean, it sounds easy, but uh, like the amount, uh, like the hours I've wasted uh, (laughs) over the years just repeating the same old mistakes, just thinking that, okay, if I just put in the hours, I will become like a a great musician somehow. But uh, it's not that easy.
1: Well, it is an invaluable tool, that stop feature, because. Uh, you know, the definition of insanity, I don't know who said it, but the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. And we do that so much in our practicing, we just kind of play play, as you say, and try to drive it through and hope that it's going to change. So you know, one of the ways that you can be a better teacher to yourself in your practicing is really saying, okay, right, this is still a problem. Obviously, the ways that I've I've chosen to look at it, um, hear it, feel it, see it, um, it's not working. So how do I, um, you know, I I liken um, that kind of fixing of problems to looking at a piece of sculpture. If you look at something physically, I'm just going to grab the first thing that's here, which is a cake of rosin. Um, but if you look at something like a piece of sculpture, and this is the problem that you're having in your piece of music. Now you know that you're going at it from this direction every time and it's wrong every time. Something's going wrong. So how do you get yourself to look at it from over here? Look at it from here. Look at it from here. Look at it from here. Look at it from, here, at it from the big picture. Look at it up really up close. Mm. It's it's really about turning that thing inside and out so that you can see it. Um another, you know, uh driving theme in in this book is how, how, when you're alone in that room practicing, how can you see, hear, and feel all of the things that you're doing? Those are the three feedback lenses that we, uh, that we have to look at everything through. Um, obviously, how does it hear? we're musicians, we're playing music. How does it sound? How does it? What does it sound like? And what do you hear in it? But it's amazing that actually a lot of the useful information that we get about the things that go wrong are about seeing it, actually seeing it happen, mm-hmm. um, um, feeling it happen before it happens. Um, I discovered something the other day, there's just a little passage in a tune, and it was I didn't realize that there was just a tiny bit of tension between my third and fourth finger that happened before the moment of a crisis every time. Mm. And it wasn't until I realized, oh, it's because I'm already tensing up here. So I had to just break that tension. It wasn't that I couldn't play it. It wasn't that it wasn't there. It wasn't that I didn't know it. It's that I just had to break the tension before the tension happened. Mm. So that was a purely physical thing.
0: Yeah. Um. Obviously, in in order to be able to break the tension, you had to be aware that it was actually there in the first place. So
1: absolutely, so, so
0: that's that's a really beautiful. Way like hear, uh, uh, f- uh, sorry, uh, f- hear, feel, and see. No, what, what was that? And see. The, yeah. 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 No, yeah. So-
1: listen. Listen. Look and feel. Yeah. I mean, it's whatever you want to make it. And and those distinctions between looking and seeing. And hearing and listening, mm,
0: yes I, I think also. those
1: are. Um, I don't know if that you know. I, I mean, I'm kind of reading a lot into that, but it. But there is a difference for me between seeing something, and and looking at something. The act of looking at something makes you do something different while you're playing than actually seeing it. The moment of seeing is a moment of, of, of kind of, Oh, there's this thing happening. Mm. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's, um, that to me is kind of endless, um, endless ways to get at our practice is through those three, those three lenses. Mm. Um, I'm always questioning those. If something goes wrong, something's not smooth, something's bumpy, something's not happening. I, I, that's the first place I go is, okay, how does it sound? How does it feel? How does it look? And how do I get at those things? For oh. me, the, my, my best friends in the world are the voice memo on my violin, uh, a mirror, And just being able to stop and feel tension or feel anything in the body, that's the first thing I do. A mirror is invaluable for that. You can look at it from all directions, looking around and seeing, you know, from above, from below, what, you know, whatever is useful for you. But um, it's, you know, we don't need fancy apps for this. We just need like a few basic things. Is my uh, (laughs) experience. Yeah.
0: Okay, so I'm sorry for jumping around a lot, but I realized oh. that that's how the structure of this uh, pod is going to be. Great. Uh, so my next uh, question is like, how do you view? And this is specific to uh, learning traditional music or Irish Celtic traditional music. Uh, like, how um, how do you see the balance between learning a repertoire and learning technique or learning to play as it as it is? And just to to expand on that, is that like, I know people who have been playing Irish music for for like uh, their whole life basically and they may know more tunes than everyone else but their playing isn't really that enjoyable to listen to and I, I find that to be a bit sad because like they obviously mm. love the music and they have spent so many hours learning all these tunes and probably they're going to sessions regularly to be able to keep such a big repertoire active so yeah. like what do you think is going on there?
1: Well, I think what's going on there and it's true for even, you know, uh, if we looked to to the other side, I think there are um plenty of classically trained or or fully trained musicians that don't um they they couldn't play anything for you that is just simply out of pure enjoyment that they that they've done all of this work on one side and there is um, none of that freedom and that wild abandon that you might hear in that. That's traditional actually a good contrast. That,
0: That's true. Yeah,
1: um, and and I think. I think the the question there is if you're looking for a reason for why that person is maybe satisfied maybe we look at them as somebody who's satisfied playing at that level and why can't they you know find more technique or work a little more on technique is a they don't know how to do that that that's one of the things I've discovered in practice is is we all get stumped by okay I'd love to play more in, you know, I'd love to improve my intonation. I'd love to make my tone um, bigger and better, but I just don't know how to do that. I think the other thing is that everybody, whether they've actually asked this question or not, um, everybody is looking for something in the music. We all play music for some reason, whether it's ego, whether it's uh, just pure enjoyment, whether it's a way to process our emotions, whether it's um, it just physically feels good. I feel Mm. like I see some musicians that it's almost like a workout. You know, there's just a kind of physicality to it that... You can tell that they really enjoy the physicality of it almost more than the music. Um, Maybe it is the music itself. Um, Another great book to listen to, um, I think it's in print form as well, is Yo-Yo Ma's book. He just put it out. It's called A Beginner's Mind. Hmm. And one of the themes out of that book was he realized in writing his biography about his life, his musical life, was... All of the decisions that he made or so many of the decisions that he made about his life were about what he was looking for in the music. And so I think every musician, it's worth asking, what are you looking for in the music? For that musician that knows 2,000 tunes, 5,000 tunes, and doesn't have a lot of technique, doesn't have a lot of maybe skill around playing in tune or or making it sound wonderful, uh, uh wonderful maybe they're not looking for that. Maybe they are looking for that ability to just churn through as many tunes as possible. Um, That's a purely, I mean, that's a perfectly valid reason to play music. We may not want to listen to it. It may not be as pleasurable for us to listen to, but it's perfectly valid for that person to play music with that in mind. The question is, is does that person really is that person okay with that and that decision to just do that um and then then comes the question of if you're not satisfied with that and you'd like to change that if you are a classical musician and you feel that you play very stiffly that that your life is frozen on the page you aren't able to play with that wild abandon you aren't able to be loose and free how do you get there? Then that those are the difficult questions. Um, once you can ascertain that that's actually what you really want, um, then it becomes how do you do that? And that's very difficult. I mean, I think coming from both sides, um, if you haven't had, if you're a traditional musician and you haven't had any foundation in how to look at those little details of your playing, Um, even the smallest suggestion for taking five minutes and looking um, at something about how you move from first finger to second finger, that may be a completely new and foreign uh, way of approaching music. And it's difficult because if you play 2,000 tunes, why would you want to sit down and think about one note to the next note, however valuable that might be? So we have to kind of jump over the humps of habit and ritual um i you know i have my own habits and rituals when it comes to practicing and sometimes i have to go okay those are great and it's useful for this. But if I really want this, I've got to break myself out of that and not do as much of that. And it's that fear of missing out. It's that fear that you're, you know, why would I spend that valuable time doing that one, two, one, two when I could be playing 50 tunes? Yeah. Um, so it, it's it's all of those things. And uh, if there's kind of one theme in this, it's it's really... Um, And this is, I really think the kind of main theme of the whole book is that practice is this solo, practice is this solo endeavor. It's you deciding to put yourself in a room to, to further something about what you want out of music, Mm. further your own knowledge of yourself, your own knowledge of music, and to get. Hopefully, I mean, I think most people would agree with this, that you're going to get more enjoyment out of playing music because of that time you spent in that room alone with no one else around. Um, So it's about finding the ways that best get you there. Uh, But you do have to answer those questions. Why are you in that room? Why do you want to do any of this work? Is it because you feel a lack? Is it because you want a more expansive view? Is it because um, you want something different? You want to be inspired again? You want to be curious about something or you are curious about something? Mm. And so it's it's a knowledge of self. It's That's where it all starts is well, really knowing ourselves.
0: But that's really interesting. Like, um, yeah, the importance of actually being able to reflect on what, what it is that you want to get out of playing music, and and you kind of exposed a bit of uh, I don't know judgment maybe in my <laughs> in my question there in that I I sort no, of no uh, no not at all like no. uh, I kind of put my own expectations of what it means to be a musician on like everyone else. And you're right, like for someone else, maybe just to be able to fit into a local session or to be able to go to a festival and just instantly play music with strangers uh, maybe that's that's uh, that that what gives gives them the most value out of the music so maybe the idea is like like you're saying if you're able to um, find out what it is that you really want to get out of music uh, and practice um, maybe then you're it's easier to to make an educated decision about how to best spend your practice time and yeah But I I suppose the problem is that if someone feels frustrated because they feel like they're not getting the return on on the investment, so to speak, when it comes to the hours they're putting in. um, Mm -hmm. And I think what I'm alluding to sometimes is that final piece of the puzzle, as I call it, which is so hard to describe in words. Like maybe you sort of have the technique to play as fast as some of the, the people you're listening to on recordings or... And maybe you're you're able to play in in tune well enough, and maybe you know all the ornaments, but it still doesn't sound uh, right. You know what I mean? Like in in um, connotations. Um, and I, I I tend to call it the final piece of the puzzle because it's uh, it's not a, I I don't always know what it is myself. I just for me personally, I find that the way to get there sometimes is just to listen a lot to what you want to aspire to and. Just hope that it kind of um, your body somehow are able to absorb it. Yeah, uh, can you relate to any of that?
1: Yeah, look, I, I mean, to back up to kind of feeling that um, maybe you were being over judgmental. The bottom line is, music is. Um, you know, most of the time we're not playing music in a bubble where nobody's hearing it and where we're hoping that nobody hears it, right? I mean, we we spend a lot of time maybe practicing and maybe enjoy. You know, I, I love playing in that bathroom by myself, and I don't care if anybody hears me or not. Like, I've really enjoyed that. But the bottom line is most of the music that I make or the most of the music that I absolutely adore involve other people. Mm. And when it involves other people, it then becomes a conversation. Um, I I... I have kind of gone away from the idea that music is a language because I think that's a whole other dissertation for another time. It's not simply that it's a language. It is a way of communicating with another human being. Um, it's a very special way. And like a conversation, um, you know, my my husband said years ago that an Irish music session should be, I mean, this is kind of our, our uh, feeling about it, is that an Irish music session is like You walk into somebody's house or a restaurant and you see a bunch of people sitting at a table. If you just go and sit down at that table and just start yelling at them or start talking at them, that's not a session. That's not a good conversation. That's not a good session. Mm. A good session is like a good conversation where there's a back and forth, where there's a flow, where there's... um, a sense that everybody is listening to everybody and everybody contributes something, but that everybody has something different to contribute and, and that it's all valued and that it all feels in balance. That's a pretty rare thing that that happens 100% perfectly <laughs> for everybody every time yeah. because we're human. When have you had a con... You know, you know that feeling of going out with a friend and having a coffee and having just the greatest conversation because you felt you felt heard, you felt listened to, but you also felt that you listened to them, that you learned something about them, that you felt a deepening of relationship between, you know, what? it could be somebody you just met, but it could also be a really, really good friend. Mm. And so music is the same. And I think that... um, when you have a conversation with somebody, and I'm sure everybody can relate to this, where you feel like the person isn't as articulate as what their brain, you know they're feeling really important things, Mm. but they're they're not as articulate as they could be about expressing that. Maybe they're a person that just doesn't talk much. Maybe they're a person that um, they aren't as in touch with their emotions and they can't kind of let it come to the surface. They don't feel good about themselves or they um there's a part that's hidden from themselves, so you feel that hidden part from you. Um, I think we feel all of these things in music as well, and I think it is, is palpable. I think, we, uh, I think I spoke about this in a newsletter a couple of times ago, which was when you watch somebody rhythmically, I was just talking about rhythm, and I said it's sometimes you can see somebody that is playing rhythmically perfect. There is nothing wrong. You could throw on a metronome, and they would be perfectly in rhythm on the on the you know on the face value they're playing in perfect rhythm there's nothing wrong but it doesn't feel like music mm. sometimes perfect rhythm doesn't mean that it feels musical what is that what's that little piece that makes us to me that's the last piece is what is musicality to you what mm. is something that is musical there are plenty of players out there that other people have said to me oh you have to hear this person um you know it's amazing and i listen to it and go yeah okay yeah. you know i mean i'm i try not to be judgmental because again i i um not that i'm not judgmental of course i'm judgmental but i i um <laughs> i listen to them and i say okay that's great. It's wonderful there's all these wonderful things that are in wonderful places, but it doesn't just it doesn't light me up. And when something lights me up, I'm not sure that I could even put into words what that is. Mm. Is it that the that the rhythm is great? Is it that they're they're perfectly in tune? I'll tell you right now, some of the players that I love the most not rhythmically perfect, not perfectly in tune, no. not great tone all the time. Why is that? What what is that component of all of those things um, that that makes that musical to me? I don't know. And and this is something I'm really trying to find in practicing too. So rather than push myself into perfect intonation, perfect rhythm what is the big picture and what is that little unexplainable thing that makes something musical? Mm. Um, I think it's a combination of of looking for craft and looking for, you know, I want to have the most control over my instrument I know I can have. Mm. So it's like a, a painter. I've, I've read so many painters describe this about brush strokes. You know, if you do not have... Ultimate control over that one paintbrush and how it moves, how it collects paint, how it leaves paint behind, how you whether you move fast, slow, whether it's splattering, whether it's movement, gesture. If you don't have that control, then what's happening is either random or it's something out of your control. And mm. if it goes well, that's good, but it's not necessarily a choice. So there is this. There is this uh, balance between having ultimate control and choice, and then letting magic happen out of that choice, and and some wonderful things happen. So, you know, it's a tricky thing. I, I think, of course, it is impossible to be a musician and not listen to other musicians with a judgmental mind. Mm. But I rather think of it as us looking. We're looking for what we think they're looking for, so that we are looking for the things we think we're looking for. <laughs> yeah. If that makes sense, yeah, you I, know what I mean. Yeah, I think
0: so. And maybe, maybe confidence is a part of the picture there. Like, if I feel like s- someone really believes in what they're doing and and that they're uh, that they're getting out what they are looking for, like, yes, I I don't kind of. Uh, when I hear Bob Dylan sing, I don't like think that he tries to be some someone else that that is like he's just Bob Dylan and that's what what he wants to do, and it has worked pretty well for him <laughs>
1: it's <laughs> so, <laughs> worked very well <laughs>
0: so I th- yeah i think I think that might be uh might be uh one of the important final pieces uh, well, which which I, isn't I, very easy either like it's hard no. to know who you who, who you are and who you want to be and I suppose yeah. that just takes a lot of time and experimentation.
1: I think one of the most uh, difficult things about practice is that you are in that room alone and it's you alone. And if you are really looking, if you are really listening, if you are really feeling, you're going to see some things you don't like. I mean, the bottom line is, you know, I hate hearing the sound of my voice on recording. I just always have. but But if you can own that, if you can if you can accept that that is that is you, then you have the platform from which to to grow whatever you'd like to grow from that. And I think, absolutely, confidence, uh, self confidence, knowing, really being willing to look at oneself, listen to oneself, and and feel those things on the instrument. That's that's more than half the game and then you have a starting point to to expand and then think of life as being very expansive after that if i don't know how i sound on the violin you know it's years and years of making recordings it, you know, it's horrifying the first few times when you hear yourself back soloed and you go, oh, wow, I really didn't think it sounded like that. No. Why is that? So, you know, in practicing and realizing when we play, there's so many other things floating around. It's how you feel emotionally. You know, if you're on a stage and playing a concert, I've done this multiple times where I've played what I thought was like the greatest concert I've ever played. And then I listen back and go... Wow, there are a lot of a lot of uh, things sticking out here that I didn't I didn't hear those when they happened, but nor did the audience. No. Um, or maybe they did. The bottom line is we we are. Uh, this is a temporal thing. Music happens in in a moment. It happens in time. So I'm feeling this physically. I'm hearing it, but I'm also feeling it emotionally. I'm seeing it a certain way, and if I see that I'm relaxed. I probably am going to sound relaxed. If I feel that I sound relaxed, I'm probably going to feel relaxed. So there are all these things that play into what we're experiencing while we're doing it Um, and, and being willing to be honest about those things, but also... Uh, Kind. I think generosity Mm. is a huge part of practicing. You have to be generous to yourself. I say it to my students all the time. If you're going to record yourself to hear something in your playing, make sure when you listen back, you are only listening to the thing you're listening back for. So say, you know, I have a student that can't put that fourth finger down in tune, and they're listening for that in a tune that has a fourth finger. If they listen back and all of a sudden go, oh God, the sound is terrible. Oh, that first finger is out of tune. Oh, I didn't do that, I didn't do that ornament on the first bar, and oh, I messed up the tune. They're they're listening for all the wrong things. Yeah. They should only be listening for the thing they're they're really trying to dive into. It's really hard to do that, but you have to be generous to yourself. You yeah. have to be kind um, in order to find you you know, um, this wasn't an easy path for me, but I have to say, it's like I kind of laugh now when I discover things about me that I didn't know in practicing. It's like, oh, okay, okay, so this is the starting point. Let's go from here rather than really getting out the the paddle and uh, and saying bad, 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 bad. You know? Yeah. Um, so well, well,
0: yeah. I think it's really important uh, part of uh, of the whole thing and like for me at least it gets easier when once you get older like <laughs> you get a bit more perspective on life and like maybe it isn't the biggest thing in the world if you tend to mess up yeah. mess up the fourth finger
1: you know the best cure for that too is teaching somebody else. It's mm. really seeing somebody else in a vulnerable position and in a in a in a place of of learning mm. that you give yourself the permission to be because we're going to be there forever. I don't think there's a musician alive, no matter what level we're talking about, um, uh, that doesn't have a moment in practice that's like, oh wow, okay, here we are again, or this is a starting point that I thought was. I thought I was much further ahead. I need to start back here. Everybody has those moments. It's one of the most humbling pieces of playing music. I've I've never really understood how ego. Well, I understand how ego plays in music, but I've never understood how somebody could be egotistical about music because we're all we all get slapped down and humbled by uh, you know our ability. It's like we we all know what that feels like for um sure. and so it's fine and i even <laughs> try to
0: see those moments as kind of a
1: gift in a way like okay here's here's
0: an yeah. option for, or here's a, um i'm able to improve on this particular uh, point in my playing and my music making that i wasn't uh, aware of so so yeah. yeah uh okay another thing um which may sound like a technical question but i suspect my devolve into something else as well and that is something that especially beginners ask about when they get into Irish music especially is how can I play faster Um, I think they want they feel like they have to play faster uh, in air quotes because they I don't know they want to play along with their favorite recordings or they want to sit in at the local session or they feel like Irish music should be played at a certain tempo Um, like what do you make of that question
1: uh, lots of things, as you can imagine. Um, and, and the first one is one they probably don't want to hear, which is, you know, one of the defining moments for me coming to Irish music. Me, too. I, I came from classical music. And, of course, what was the first thing I was uh, attracted to was like, oh, my God, the wild abandoned. Somebody's up there. They're just playing this tune. And and it's just like alive and full of rhythm. I just want to do all of that. And I want to do it right now. Mm. Um, it was a real um, eye opener to realize that really, when it comes down to it, in Irish music, for me anyway, it's all about the eighth notes. It's all about those inner beats, and if you can't play those and make them sound like Irish music at a slow speed, you're not going to be able to to do it at at a, at a at a you know a much quicker pace. I think it's very. It's actually easier to play fast than it is to play slow and still get somebody to tap their foot. Um, Certainly, you know, we have some players in Irish music today that are – that really uh, you can see kind of live and breathe that. Martin Hayes is one of those. Hmm. Um, But there are a lot of players that, you know, for me, the – the defining moment of whether I think they're, they're a really great player is if they can play something slow and make me tap my foot to it. Like, do I, am, am I on that train with them? Um, if I'm on the train with them, it doesn't matter what speed they're playing because I'm with them. It's like that pulse that in inner sense of having that pulse, um, is far more important than the speed. Now, obviously, sessions are at a certain speed, and if you can't play at that speed, it's very frustrating. Very frustrating not to, you know, be able to sit into that. And I would, there's a kind of tried and true um, practical technique that I got from classical music, which is a great one. It's not one that everybody enjoys if you've never practiced with a metronome. Um, but make friends with your metronome is, is one of the things I would say. Um, is you take the metronome and you start at a very, you you start at a speed, play the tune at a speed that is painfully slow for you, like painfully slow. Um, And then jump it up seven little notches. So say you started at 50, you're going to go up to 57, and then you bump it back to five, and then up seven, back five, up seven, you're leapfrogging yourself up. And you will... This is a foolproof, I think it's a foolproof way of you will find that there is a ceiling at which you can no longer play it, but you will get, that ceiling will get pushed much further because you've jumped back five and Mm. gone up seven, jumped back five, gone up seven. Now, if you do not like the metronome and you don't um, find that a fun thing to do with the metronome, the other thing you can do, I've I've had people do this and they enjoy it, um, find... Find something. I mean, it could be a, a track of African drumming. It could be, um, uh, it could be just you playing one note on your instrument in a very kind of rhythmic way. But find something that's rhythmic that you can stick in one of this. I will suggest this app. The um, the amazing slow downer mm. is just a such a fantastic app for slowing things down and speeding things up. But put that in there and then do the same thing of this leapfrogging slow to fast. The idea is that you want to be accountable to something that is going to keep you in rhythm. And then you want it to nudge you a little bit faster and a little bit faster. So uh, that's a use, I just find that a very useful. Way of practicing. I think the other thing. I mean, there's so much to say about speeding things up. Um, but the the one I'll just do as a as a final example is think of speed as gesture instead of speed. So okay. rather than thinking, okay, I have to play fast. I have to play fast. What is the gesture that you're making? So if the tune is daedal ba-dum, dum and if that's a phrase in one of the tunes that you're playing, rather than it being da 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 dum, and it's all of those notes that you have to play, think of the gesture of it. So it's diddle lap dum dum, and think of where the inner beats are, so it's da 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 or it's da 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 or it's da 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 or it's da 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 so all of those get you to think of that rhythm in a totally different way. But when we're speeding it up, it's not useful to think of speeding this up. Because yeah. you're, you're too focused on the inner notes of that, rather than thinking of it as a gesture. I think when speed really gets going, you have to think gesturally about those combinations of notes, the sound that you're making for the violin. It's all about the bowing. What are we doing? What notes are we connecting? What notes are we not connecting? And is my speed a problem because of that bowing of how I'm connecting it? Is it because I'm slurring all of those do-da-da-da-dum? Or is it da-da-da-da-dum? Is that the problem? So is it a physical problem or is it a gestural problem mm. if that makes sense. Again, yeah. we're back to the kind of lurk look listen and feel kind of thing.
0: Yeah, and I mean what what I get out of that is uh like the importance of feeling the music as you say like because playing a tune faster feels different from playing it slower and you have to kind yeah. of approach it in that different um uh, yeah, in in a different way and I feel like your uh, your suggestion of notching the metronome back and forth is a good thing because it, it gives you the opportunity to experience the tune at different speed levels. and For sure. Maybe you then consciously or subconsciously uh, your muscles adapt to... Because playing fast is a... F- playing I mean, it's, it's a different thing. Like, uh, the technique is slightly different, I find, on all the instruments that I play. Like, the yeah. fingers have to move more e- economically in a way. And um, But for me, anyway, like, I don't get too technically about it. I just um, try to get in the feel of it. As you say, like, you have to feel longer gestures or longer stretches of music. Uh, yes. Whereas if you're slower, you have to, yeah. Well, you're still subdividing the same way, but, like, the feel of the music is different, so... I feel like that's a very good uh, yeah. uh, advice. And
1: I think you, you're right in that different instruments um, pose different problems when it comes to speed. So on the violin, one of the common problems is changing strings, like string crossings. Those get radically, they're just more difficult as you get more speed, and it certainly depends on the tune. If, if the tune goes across all four strings and you're going at a good clip that's going to be a lot of there's a lot of arm motion and you have to negotiate what that is obviously on the violin our biggest our biggest conundrum is getting this hand to work with this hand cuz yeah. we're bowing and we're fingering and mm. so so usually, speed is a problem because one of those hands is going faster than the other, mm. and they're not speaking to each other so then again you've you've got to look at what the problem is. Is it the tune? Is it the right and left hand functioning together? Is it string crossings? is it um you know what what is the root of the problem? for why you can't get that to go go a bit faster. Um, Some of it is our mind. I mean, again, it's Mm. back to that sort of mental component. There are some tunes for me, I just can't, I I can't get them to go fast because I don't want them to go fast because I don't think the tune wants me to go fast. Mm. So it's, um, you know, this is, you know, in a session, you can't always dictate what what that's going to be, but... um, but I just feel like the tunes, I really am all about asking the tune what it wants to be. And it sometimes it just doesn't want to be fast. No. So, yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. But I think, you know, again, back to the um, really getting your music, for me in Irish music, getting those tunes to sit in a speed that they dance on their own that they have their own internal rhythm until you have that. And it doesn't even matter what speed that's at, but until you can do that at some speed, Mm. speeding it up is not going to help you. Um, It might change the tune. It might, um, you know, but I think that you're going to have a challenge if you can't make it move. Uh, in a way that sits, you know, all of those notes need to sit together. Um, and if they don't, even at a slow speed, you're not going to be able to get them to go at a fast speed. Um, so, yeah, it's speed is such an interesting thing. It's exhilarating, um, but it's not for, you know, and maybe I'm just getting older too, <laughs> but it's not the end-all be-all, you know. No. It used to be all about the speed. Of course.
0: Um. <laughs> and it's relative as well, like how fast this is. Trust and <laughs>
1: <laughs> Yeah. I mean I I uh you know, like I said, I'm always kind of digging into old recordings. And it's amazing to listen back to some of these recordings and go, wow, they really were playing fast, you know, if you um, or or slower than I thought, and and uh, old recordings of myself and and hearing, yeah, what, wow. Um, and, and it's all relative to the day too. There's some days that I just really want to hear nothing but fast music and other days I just need... I need a bit of calm. So paying attention to that too. Yeah. yeah.
0: And as I say, like, it also depends. Like the most important thing is that the music has a swing and a groove and a feel to it. Like sometimes yeah. music doesn't really sound very fast. Like if I listen to some old damn clips or something, it doesn't sound like they're playing very fast because it sounds like it's, it just has this really nice swing to it. But then yes. if you try to play, play along, it's like 130 BPM or something. Like it's, they're playing yeah. really, really fast. So really that, fast. But when I heard that track, I didn't think, oh, that was really fast. That must be good. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was the other way around. Like, that's a really swinging piece of music and the tempo is doesn't really matter. I'm sure yeah. they could have played it at half that speed and they would still make it sound good, so...
1: But that's the piece too that when you listen to yourself you you should ask those questions like did it just sound like I was playing fast is somebody just going to go wow that's fast or are they going to say no this just swings this has got a groove to it mm. it doesn't and like you said it doesn't matter then at what speed it's at it's the fact that somebody felt that groove and felt that pulse i don't want somebody to necessarily listen to something i play and go wow that was that was fast yeah. <laughs> you know i mean because then that's really what you're putting forward is the speed. Mm. You're not putting the musicality of it in ah, between. That's a really good
0: point, yeah. Then yeah, you re- I mean, you re- one- You're kind of reducing it to a circus act then, if that's like... well, You know,
1: it's impressive. It can be very impressive to hear somebody play extremely fast, but um, maybe it's not always the musical choice. So it's a, again, you know, what, what you want out of it, what you're looking for. You know?
0: Cool. Uh, so our time is almost up, but I... I want to throw in a couple of old balls at the end, if that's all right for you. Sure. So um, the first one is, um, I'm curious if you have a morning routine.
1: A morning routine. Um, well, it definitely involves coffee, lots of coffee, <laughs> but in terms of practice or, yeah, in or of just, anything, a, just... Do
0: you do anything in particular to like center yourself or do exercise, do practice early, anything like that?
1: yes i I try to do uh, a walk I, I don't always succeed but I try to do some sort of exercise walk um, intermittently yoga like I said I never stick to anything for any great length of time um, uh, there's always coffee involved and I always try to read in the morning I find that my my just my mental um, Acuity and the times writing that newsletter, um, doing any of the kind of thinking around music um, happens best in the morning for me. So I try to take that time. I very rarely get up and just play, Mm. like go straight into practicing. Um, I, I... I don't know why. I think some of it is just the physical thing. I I just want to kind of get warmed up and get into the day and um but before that happens, but it it's probably by 9 or 10 I'm diving into it. But um um yeah, so it's it's about kind of mental stuff in the morning and getting the kinks out of the out of the physicality yeah, um, so when I wake like, up.
0: Yeah. It always seemed very hard to me like having a normal job, like where you have to go straight into something very like active at uh, like seven o'clock in the morning, like that would yeah, that's very that's that would be hard for me, I think.
1: <laughs> I couldn't do it. I'm not sure I could do it. I'd have to get up at four in the morning and do all yeah, those yeah. other things yeah, first. Way, like <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> So, but uh, yeah. are, are you reading anything particular these days? You mentioned reading.
1: Um, I'm reading I I'm always I've always got three or four books on on the go uh which isn't always good for me I'm I'm actually better if I just read one book at a time I'm reading uh some Pema Chodron and Thich Nhat Hanh uh I'm really in, interested in Thich Nhat Hanh's um walking meditation, this idea of walking meditation. So I've been reading a lot about that. I'm reading a book about um, brushstrokes. I was mentioning that before in Painters. There's a kind of academic book that I just got about um, uh, this writer's kind of diving into Picasso and Courbet and the Impressionists and um, looking at uh, the idea of brushstroke and that that balance of craft to um, to um, choice artistic choice. Uh, what else am I reading? Um, reading a book on paradox. I, I read a lot of nonfiction. Yeah. I'm uh, desperate uh, at really making myself read some fiction, yeah. but I've just ordered some. Actually, I think he's Norwegian. Newt Hamson. Uh, I just ordered two books by him because somebody suggested them. And so this will be my foray into fiction over the next few days when that arrives. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, great. Yeah, I'm also the same. Like, I tend to read a lot of nonfiction books. Um, Yeah. Because, oh, I want to learn that and I want to get into that idea. But but whenever I force myself to sit down with a good novel, I, I always, oh, it's actually... Pretty nice, reading a story. Oh,
1: it's it's <laughs> great. And I know I need it. This is another, you know, along with those things in practice that I know, uh, I, I, I need to ask myself to read more fiction because it's so, oh, it's just so great to let the mind go somewhere else, you know? Mm. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. Uh, just to wrap up, um, any projects going forward that you want to tell people about? How, how's it going with the, that book project we were talking about?
1: um it's it's good it's kind of in a in a place where um i am going to be reaching out to um just some people that i admire to find out what the next step is i i have debated a sort of phd direction mm-hmm. in this but also trying to find some way to get it in print form i i spoke earlier maybe before we um started recording here about uh, the, the potential of turning it into more of a podcast, but maybe it will be kind of all of these things. So it's kind of in a place, I have a huge amount written, uh, but not a lot of it refined and it's not in any form. So it's, it, it now is the hard work, which is really getting so many of these concepts and putting them in, in a form that feels like, a. A book or yeah. a, a body of work. Um, other projects, just doing a few more live gigs. I don't know what it's like in um, where you are, but I, I I have four live concerts this spring, which is not a lot, but it's way more than I've had um, recently. So I'm very excited about those Um And those are kind of over the next two months. Um, I teach at the New England Conservatory in um, Boston, and I have a great group of students. I'm about to do a residency, three-day residency down in Boston with them as well as other students at the college. Um, Very excited about that. Just lots of different little programs about Irish music, about playing Irish music, and um, various other topics. And then, um, yeah, just practicing. Lots yeah. and lots of practicing.
0: Great. <laughs> that's, that's a good, good place to end.
1: <laughs> yeah. Great. Okay, Thanks Liz... so much. I really enjoyed this.
0: Oh, brilliant. I'm really grateful that you took, took the time to come on and discuss this very interesting topic.
1: Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. I look forward to hearing it, seeing it or otherwise. <laughs> cool. Take care. <laughs> okay. Bye.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Folk Music Podcast. As always, please visit the website, thefolkmusicpodcast.com. Um, I'm always grateful for uh, feedback, tips, uh, maybe even criticism. <laughs> Just send them my way at uh, thefolkmusicpodcast at gmail.com or find me on social media. That's all for this week. Um, I'll see you again soon. Take care.